Okay, guys, for announcements this morning, before we get started, the one announcement I've got is, does anybody know if there's anything coming up, any announcements? Because I can't think of any. But yet I've got that foreboding feeling that there is something that I'm... <laughs> I know that Daniel's birthday's coming up, so that's an important one. He nodded his head to that. Uh... All right. Well, if no one has any announcements, we'll go ahead and... Yes, Rebecca? What? No. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Well, Zachary, you want to go ahead and begin our time of worship? Yes. Uh, let, us, let us start. Brethren, we have met for worship. And I want to greet you with uh, the end of Habakkuk. This is Habakkuk 3, 17, 18, 19. He wrote, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Uh, Habakkuk was resolved to have joy in the Lord despite his circumstances. And so I appeal to us this morning that we be resolved. Just like Habakkuk, he knew that very difficult days were ahead for Judah because the Lord told him as much. Um, the Lord was going to raise up the, ba the Babylonians and they would carry Judah and Jerusalem into exile. And so there were dark days in store for Judah, possibly for Habakkuk if he lived to see it. Um, but what does he say? Yet, I will rejoice. He faced the days with hope and with joy, again, knowing that even though circumstances change and might change drastically, um, Habakkuk's way of life would be drastically different. Uh, he resolved to trust the Lord. And so... I appeal to you and to us this morning to trust the Lord, uh, to have our joy in the Lord founded on our faith, our trust, our resolve to be joyful and to trust Him. And so I also ask you to consider where your joy is. Or... If you feel lacking in your joy this morning, to ask yourself the question as the psalmist does, why is your soul cast down? Instead, hope in God, for, he will, for we will again praise him, our Lord and our God. Let us be resolved to take joy in the God of our salvation who, as Habakkuk says, is our strength. 
even in dark and perilous days. And will you stand with me to hear the Lord's word this morning from Isaiah 25, book of Isaiah chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, and we are called with this text to worship this morning, Uh, this text that points us to the Lord our God who is our strength and our stronghold. Isaiah 25, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah writes, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat By the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Our Lord God, you are worthy of all exaltation. Your name deserves the highest praise because you have accomplished your ancient plans. Plans that bring the mighty to nothing. And plans that raise up the humble. Those who look to your hand for protection. And we are glad. And with Isaiah, we do rejoice in your salvation this day. For Christ has defeated death. So we wait steadfastly and with the resolve like Habakkuk to wait patiently for you to swallow up death and to wipe away every tear as we wait for that sure day 
We ask that you would hold us firm and that you would grow us in Christ. And we ask for this in his name and give this praise to you in his name. Amen. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, Thou silver moon with softer gleam, Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let all things their Creator bless, and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. All the redeemed washed by His blood, come and rejoice in His great love. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on Him. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. 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 Shall return in power to reign. Heaven and earth will join to say, Oh, praise him, Alleluia. Then who shall fall on bended knee? All creatures of our God and King, Oh, praise him. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia. Praise the Lord. The Lord who is immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Let's sing these words. This is hymn number six in our hymnals. Hymn number six, immortal, invisible. 
God only wise. Let's praise him still yet. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small. In all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but not changeth thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, Thine angels adore Thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, O oh, help us to see, Tis only the splendor of light hideth Thee. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God who is the creator of all, the creator of life, the creator of light, the one who knits us in our mother's womb, who searches our hearts and knows us. Psalm 139, that great psalm. Um, let's, let's sing it now. And these are the words, uh, all of the words translated course, because we don't know Hebrew, um, but all of, all of the words set to uh, Sweet Hour of Prayer, a tune that we all, that we all know, um, but here is Psalm 139, um, a, a great psalm of praise for what the Lord has, has accomplished that is beyond our knowledge, beyond our finding out how it is that, that the Lord creates a soul uh, in in the mother's womb and knits it there. We are known by him even there. And we're put together by him there. And not just a psalm that praises his, his creation and his magnificent power in that way, uh, but the one who searches our hearts, teaches us our hearts, and who uses his word uh, to draw us to him and to grow us in in Christ's image. So let's sing, and as we should always do, pray as we sing these, these words. Um, be in prayer uh, as, we, as we sing together this, this great psalm, uh, Psalm 139.
Lord, Thou hast searched me, Thou hast known my rising and my sitting down. And from afar Thou knowest well the very thoughts that in me dwell. Thou knowest all the ways I plan, my path and lying down dost scan. For in my tongue no word can be, but lo, O Lord, tis known to Thee. Behind, before me, thou dost stand, and lay on me thy mighty hand. Such knowledge is for me too strange, and high beyond my utmost range. Where shall I from thy spirit flee, or from thy presence hidden be? In heaven thou art, if there I fly in death's abode if there I lie. If I the wings of morning take and utmost see my dwelling make, even there thy hand shall guide my way and thy right hand shall be my stay. If I say darkness covers me, the darkness hideth not from thee. Thee both night and day are bright, the darkness shineth as the light. My inward parts were formed by thee, within the womb thou fashioned me. And I thy praises will proclaim, for strange and wondrous is my frame. Thy wondrous works I surely know, when as in depths of earth below, my frame in secret first was made. Twas all before thine eyes displayed. Mine unformed substance thou didst see, The days that were ordained to me Were written in thy book, each one, When as of them there yet were none. Thy thoughts, O God, to me are dear, How great their sum, they more appear, In number than the sand to me, When I awake, I'm still with thee. The wicked thou wilt slay, O God, depart from me, ye men of blood. They speak of thee in words profane, the foes who take thy name in vain. Do not I hate thy foes, O Lord, and thine assailants hold abhorred. I truly hate all foes of thine, I count them enemies of mine. 
So search me, God, my heart discern, and try me every thought to learn, and see if any sin holds sway, lead in the everlasting way. Lord, we do ask that you would search us, that you would know us, that you would discern our heart, that you would try our thoughts, and that you would reveal them to us, that we would be able to know ourselves. We know that this only comes through the lens of your word. It doesn't come from guesses about ourselves or what other people think about us. It comes from your mouth through the pen of these writers under the inspiration of you through your spirit and so we ask that you would lead us in the everlasting way this everlasting way we've we've sung about that we've thanked you for and so as we open scripture together again and we hear its exposition its explanation we pray father that we would rejoice at this word at your word, that we would rejoice like one who finds great spoil, great, great treasure. And we ask that you would give us life according to your steadfast love and according to your righteous rules that train us in the righteousness of Jesus our Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. There is a far kingdom ways from here beyond the storm and the sea There will be no need of darkness and none for tears when there Far kingdom I see There's a river we will know Ever clear and ever full From the fount that overflows In the light of the king And when we drink it will find that this joy of a foal ever rise and it'll rise on in the kingdom in the kingdom there is a Matthew chapter 6, we've, last week we started really digging into uh, the Lord's Prayer. What is, uh, 
what is he saying when we when we look at the words of the Lord's Prayer? What sort of deep mine of biblical truth are these? And so we, we saw Jesus tell us, when you pray, pray like this, Matthew 6. Uh, when you pray, say, uh, Luke 11. Uh, and so what is it that Jesus wants us to say? If Jesus gives us these words and says, when you pray, these are the words I want you to say. Well, by all means, we need to figure out what, why, why these words? What biblical depth is tied to these words? What, what ideas, what truths are we going to find in this prayer of the Lord? And so we started out last week, uh, beginning with the first word of the Lord's prayer, Father. And so we, we looked at what does it mean that God is Father? Uh, what is that talking about? We saw the, the childlike faith that's expressed in, in calling God uh, our Father. And the, and the humbling reality with that, that if God is Father and God is in control, then I am not. And so when I call God Father, I have to treat God like he's my father, which means I have to act as if he's the one who created me. I'm not the one who gets to create him. He, I am created in his image. It is not my job to form him into, into the image I would like. Uh, and then we saw that, that, that God is, in fact, the epitome of what a father should be. That, that every verse talking about, you know, fathers should do this or ultimately because that's what the father is like. And so we saw how God was, uh, how in verses, God said, I will be this like a father to you. I will be this because I am your father. So we saw him promise uh, to be compassionate, to protect us, to be merciful to us, but also to correct us, right? We saw all of those things because God is our father. It's not just a title that he's taken on. It is the way he treats us. And so understanding fathers and understanding how he tells us he is a father to us helps us when we read those words in the Lord's Prayer and we see that first word, father, uh, we're able to pull in biblical images of why. Why did God choose of all things for us to call him? Why does he say, uh, call me, call me father? Uh, and so, uh, Father is really all it says in the Luke version. If you're reading the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, that's not the Luke version, it's just the Luke events, which are later on uh, than the events in Matthew 6. Uh, so the events in Luke 11, when Jesus says, or when the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus says, uh, when you pray, say, they just say, Father. Uh, and then it goes into the rest of the Lord's Prayer. It goes into the, goes into the petitions, as we're going to look at in a few weeks. But when, when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, he expounded a little bit more, even on this introduction, even on these first words uh, that we say to God. He says more than just simply Father, like he does in Luke 11. Uh, so let's look at Matthew 6 uh, and see what we see here attached to the idea of Father and how we can flesh that out and what that teaches us when we pray this prayer found in, in Matthew 6. So let's stand in the honor of, of reading God's Word as the people have done uh, throughout the history. Uh, we go back and read Nehemiah 8 and you can just be glad that we're not standing from morning to midday. Uh, but let's stand as we read the Word uh, and then we'll uh, rejoice as we see God apply it uh, to our hearts. Beginning uh, in verse 9, uh, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray.
Father, I pray today that God, before we even get into the requests we have in prayer, that Father, you would teach us about yourself and about our relationship with you, what it means that you are our Father, our Father who is in heaven. So Father, help us to understand that, that that, that truth, that grounding, that cornerstone of faith might help us even when we then turn to you with our requests. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we see here, got the Sermon on the Mount. God is not just Father, if you can say just Father. Uh, he is our Father. So uh, Luke 11, Father, Matthew 6, uh, He is our Father. And He's not just our Father either, right? He's our Father what? Who is in heaven. And so what we're going to do in, in the next uh, probably three weeks at least, uh, we're going to look at what does it mean that God is our Father. That'll be this week and next week. Uh, and then what does it mean that He is our Father in, in heaven, which might end next week. It depends on how much the re it just drags out. Because uh, there's so many good verses as we start walking through here. What does it mean when we say that God is our Father? So that's where we're going to start this week uh, as we look at our Father. Not just God. Last week, God as Father. This week, specifically, God as our Father. What does it mean that God is our Father? When we say that, when we say our Father, what truths are packed in there? And the first one might seem like glaringly obvious, but when you say our Father, that means that God is your Father, okay? That means that God is your Father. And the truth is, Interestingly or sadly or whatever, we're not as blown away by that statement as we should be. When I say our father means God is your father, a lot of us are like, yeah, of course. We're not shocked by the idea that this prayer begins with us having a relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of all things. He is your father. So God is not, so this idea, God is not just some old man in, in the sky that is sort of watching over everything whose, you know, essence uh, is father. God intimately relates to his creation and explicitly to his people and specifically to you. So that your God tells you to, to remember that he is your father. Jesus, Jesus is the one telling us here, God is not just father. It, it's obvious he could have just ended, he could have, that could have been the intro to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Because that was the intro to the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke 11. And if both of them had just said father, there would be some truths that we, we might have to sort of pull out in other places. But here... Jesus is the one who says, I don't want you to just begin your prayer with Father. I want you to begin with our Father. That God is not just Father in general, the, you know, the, the, the big guy in the sky, right, as people like to say. God is your Father. Now, the problem, like I said, is we take God as our Father for granted, 
In fact, most people, if you were to ask them, they would probably all say they are children of God. If they have any sort of, you know, theistic beliefs at all, if they're not pretending to be atheists, they'd probably all say, well, of course, of course we're God's children. They would say that all people are children of God. And, and that's not exactly wrong, right? Paul uh, addresses this common belief in Acts 17, and he doesn't refute it. So when he's talking to them in Acts 17 at the Areopagus, he's not like, well, actually, you're wrong. None of you are his father. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't refute it exactly. Uh, so it's something we don't want to get hung up on. Because, yes, there is a sense in which God is father of everyone and that he created everyone. But the Bible is also clear that in terms of having a relationship with God, not just as creator, but having a loving, intimate relationship with God as Father is not something that comes natural to us. It is not where we start our lives. It is not the natural situation for us. At least, again, in anything more than a he created all of us sort of way. And we know this. Like, so it shouldn't surprise us that we're not God's children because what is the verse we all know? What does John 3, 16 say? How many sons does God have? Well, you can't, it's not like for God so loved the world that he sent one of, well, everyone's his son. Uh, you know, really toned down John 3, 16 a little bit. He sent one of his billions of sons uh, and you're all sons and sort of get, got on a rant, like if Jesus got on a rambling discourse about, but he loves all of you. Any, I mean, what is the point of John 3, 16? How many sons does God have? One, he has an only begotten son. I mean, that truth is central to the very gospel itself. And so it makes it so amazing that God would send his son to die for us. So we all know in a way that, yeah, we're not all children of God. That's not, that's not how we start out. So the question is, well, if we're not sons of God, who are we sons of? And the Bible tells us who is naturally our father. Ephesians chapter 2. You got this great passage. Ephesians chapter 1 sort of laying out all the things we are in, in Christ. And we're going we're gonna to look at those in, in literally the next verses that we look at. But in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us who is naturally our father. Beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians 2. It says, and you were dead. So he's talking about what they were before they were saved, before God changed their hearts and lives and eternities and families. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of God and so everything was okay, right? No, children of what? Were by nature children of wrath, like whom? Like the rest of mankind. So we were sons, just not of God. We were sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. We were following the desires and the passions, desires of the body and of the mind. That's who we were sons of. So, so if we're not sons of God, originally, what are we? We're sons of disobedience. We are children, but not children of God. We're naturally children of what? Children of wrath, right? You don't see that going around. Well, 
Hey, I think we all need to realize everybody's a child of wrath. Uh, you know, it's not a common thing. You know, on Facebook, with little happy emojis all around it. Uh, we're all children of wrath. Let's not forget that, everybody. We're all children of wrath. That'd probably be helpful if we had more of that. But that was our nature. Whether you remember it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you have been saved for so long that you forgot that's who you were, that was our nature. And that was the nature, not just of us, not like we were some sort of special extra heathen. It was the nature, the Bible says, of the rest of mankind. You were nothing special in that you were a child of wrath. You were nothing special that you were a son of disobedience. That's what everybody is, so don't get a big head about it. That's where we all were. So naturally, that's our situation. That's, that's where we are. We are sons of disobedience. We are children of wrath. So then the question becomes, how do we pray this prayer? Are we just pretending? Are we sons of disobedience and children of wrath, but yet if we call God our Father enough, we're going to actualize it in some way? Are we going to be able to just say it enough so that it becomes reality? Are we going to become common law children? If I just say it enough, it's going to be true. Is this some sort of prayer squatters rights? So how do we get to call God our father? Well, to call God your father, guess what? Because God's not going to, right? Who's the one telling us to do this? Jesus. And Jesus isn't going to lie, right? He's not going to tell us, well, God's not your father, but I want you to say it anyway. So how, how, how do we say, how do we pray this, our father? The way that happens is God has to become our father. Well, how does God become our father? God becomes our father by him adopting us into his family. God makes us his children. We are reborn, if we're going to steal from John chapter 3. We are reborn from above. And we are reborn into a new family because God adopts us. That's exactly what the Bible says God is doing in and through Jesus Christ. The part of the gospel is God is making you sons. God is making you his children. He is adopting you. Now, that only makes sense if you and I were not naturally his children, right? I don't, we don't have a special day with Betsy where we're like, hey, Betsy, we're going to adopt you today. And she would be like, wait, what? Did I miss something in these first years of my life? It'd probably be pretty confusing. I know because I used to tell my brother that all the time, that, that, that that's what had happened to him. Um, but that's exactly what the Bible says God is doing. We have been adopted, so we're not naturally in the family of God. So how do we say our Father, God adopts us through Jesus Christ? This you've been adopted language is all over the New Testament. So, for example, if we go back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it tells the very end of verse 4, and it says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So, so the Bible makes these great grand statements about salvation, that God has planned salvation from the foundation of the earth, that he's predestined since, since before time, eternal. But part of that predestined plan of God was that God predestined you, not just to be saved. He doesn't just predestine us to be saved. He, from eternity past, predestines to adopt you he predestined us for adoption 
from eternity past, God planned to make you his child. That was his will. And so not to get ahead of ourselves, but think what, what this means when we pray, your will be done. Part of that will of God being done is that he has adopted you. This was, it says, according to the purpose of his will. One of the purposes of the will of God was to adopt you as his child. That's why you can say our father, because though you did not deserve it, though you didn't even want it, because you were following the course of this world, you were living by the desires and passions of your bodies and your minds, and you were children of wrath like everybody else, God in his grace predestined according to his will. No one made him, no one forced him, no one coerced him solely by mercy and grace. You're a child of God today because of him. Because he adopted you. Plucking you from a family of sin and death and taking you into his family of light and life, of holiness and glory. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, right, the fullness of all this, all this stuff we've been waiting for, right, since we want to, all of the Old Testament and then the New Testament tells us, like, you can read Colossians, you can, you can read Titus, it's going to tell us that even before the Old Testament began, like all of this, the fullness of time, when that finally came, what did God do? God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. For what purpose? For what purpose? So that we might receive adoption as sons. So we look back at Christ. God sent Christ. You get fullness of everything is now in place. He's sending his son. What is he sending his son to do? To redeem us for what purpose? Why is God redeeming us? So that he might adopt us. But even, even more, it, it really, that's not right. Because the focus in that verse isn't on him and what he does. The focus is on us and what we get, what we receive. He saved us that we might get the blessing and the joy of being adopted. It doesn't say he, he, he redeemed us under the law so that he might adopt us. It says he redeemed us under the law so that we might receive adoption. It is, and that orientation is important there. That is a focus on us that we do not deserve. That shows that there is a, a, a love and a mercy and a grace focused on caring about us, not just the act of adopting, but the people he is adopting. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So it is, it is only through adoption here, again, that we're able to cry out to God as Father. But our adoption is real so that we can cry out to God and Father in the same way that a child cries out to their father. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what? Also the Spirit of adoption 
And it is that spirit in us that lets us know we are truly sons of God. We are truly his children. That we're not pretending when we say that. We're not just wishing. When we say our father, I mean, it's such simple words. But when we say those two words, our father, we are breathing a two-word summary of the gospel. And so when we do, I pray that we are remembering how foreign those words should have been on our lips, how ridiculous it is for us to dare think we could call God Father, but also a rejoicing that though we were once children of a different family, we are now children of God because we've been adopted through his true son, Jesus Christ and made true sons through Jesus Christ. I mean, the, I mean it's the gospel. Just, and so when we say, like, well, what's the big deal about our father? You got the gospel wrapped up in those first two words of this prayer. It, the truth is, if we thought about what the words our father meant, we could say our father and then stop. Because our hearts would be so shaken by what this means, not just for our prayer that we're about to voice, but what it means for our today, what that means for our family, what that means for our marriages, what that means for the rest of my life, what that means for my eternity, just by those words, our Father. But that's not all that the words our Father means. Our Father reminds us that, that that God is truly your father, but our father also reminds us that you are not an only child. The Lord's Prayer intentionally takes the focus off of us and onto God's work in all of his people because we would all be petulant only children. Uh, if God did not, if God is like humbling us by reminding us that the prayer is, is not, uh, a my father, but an, but an our father. This, this is not, the Lord's prayer is not the prayer of a Lone Ranger Christian. This is a corporate prayer. And by, you know, the word corporate, corpus just means body. This is a prayer of and for about the body, about the corpus. And what do we see in these prayers? You know, it, it, as you go through the Lord's prayer, you don't see a bunch of me's and I's. You see a focus on what? On us. The, the, the whole of this prayer, that this is, this is not just my reality. This is not about me praying about what I need. This is about, this is ours. This isn't just me praying. This is us praying from, from these very first words, our Father. Because think about it, God could have easily, easily had the prayer begin with my Father. In fact, my Father would make more sense. Because think about it, what has, what has Jesus just told us to go do in Matthew 6? What has he just told us to go do? I'm giving you a chance to look at it. He told us to go get alone, right? He told us to go to, to, to be by ourselves, to go and, and go in a, an inner room and shut the door and pray in secret. It would almost be natural to begin that prayer with my, if you were alone and you began using not singular but plural words, people would think you were crazy. 
right? Because, like, you're the only one in the room, buddy. I don't know what all this hour stuff is. And So even beginning with the hour, Father, when you're, if you've, if you've done what Matthew 6 says and you've gone alone, you're in the secret room, you're by your place, and your Father, who, who is in secret, hears your prayers, and you say, what's the first words he tells you to say when you're alone in this room, no one else is here, just you and God, what does he tell you to say? Our Father, even there, even there, your thoughts are not just on yourself. The Bible tells us that God is not just your Father, He is our Father. That we have to be reminded that we all have the same Father. You do not have some special, extra, close relationship with God that, you know, you're really a child, but all these other people are probably not really children. Ephesians 4 tells us there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called, the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, the one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you're not supposed to think of yourself as some sort of having some sort of monopoly on this relationship with God. Like, God, God is my Father. God is not just your Father. He is the Father of us all. But again, it's not just, it's, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's not just that first part that says that. It's not just He begins with our Father and then the rest of the prayer. The whole focus of the prayer, throughout the whole prayer, the focus is on not you, but us. And this is true, although Luke 11 doesn't have the Our Father, the Luke 11, all of the requests are not just requests for you, but requests for us. So when you look at, look at, the, look at the requests that we, we give, they're all group requests. So our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then what? Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. The Lord's Prayer is not a personal prayer. When we, when we talked about, about prayer, we talked about how there isn't a lot of examples of, of corporate prayer. Not a, in other words, not a lot of guidance of when, when you're in a group, pray like this. And, and this, this, again, doesn't help us either because where is this one prayed? This is prayed in secret. And so again, this means that even our secret prayers should be focused not just on ourselves, but on others. That even when you're alone, your thoughts should not just be on you, but on us, but on the body. The Lord's Prayer is a, is a, is a good prayer to help us remember that. Because I don't know, I mean, unless we all want to play like super pious person who's like, oh, I forgot to pray for myself again. I was so busy praying for everybody else. Uh, there's probably a natural temptation for us when we pray to just throw up all of the things that we need. Even to the point of worrying about our daily bread, but not worrying about God providing daily bread for our brothers and sisters. Just not even thinking about it. Not that we don't want, not that we're like, God, don't give them the daily bread. Give the daily bread to me. Uh, not that we're doing that. But just because it's very easy to be self-focused, very easy to be in our own little world. And this is a reminder that you don't have a little world. This is God's world. 
And you are a part of his family. It's not just about you. It's about us. It's about the body. So that even our secret prayers are remembering. Listen, if your prayers, if you look and you compare your prayers to the Lord's prayers and your prayers are filled with a lot of me's and I's instead of us and we's, then it'd probably be a good thing to, for a while just go back and start praying the Lord's prayer. To just reorient your pronouns. You know, there's all sorts of pronoun problems in our world today. And this is a Christian pronoun problem. That we're using, we use a lot of I's, a lot of me's when we pray, and not a lot of we, not a lot of us. You do need to be praying. You need to be praying not just for your daily needs, for your daily bread. You need to be praying for the daily bread of your brothers and sisters. Give us our daily bread. Even when you're alone. Again, even in the secret places. You need to be, you need to not just be praying for your forgiveness, but for theirs. And, and to be praying, not just that you would forgive people, but that you, we would be a body of people who forgive. Praying that, that, that both of us, that all of us would be kept from temptation. I mean, it, the battle for temptation in our own hearts can seem so rigorous that it's hard to, you know, you can imagine being in a fight and you feel like you're flailing against sin and half the time you're losing. It's hard to be like, and help that guy too, you know. It's like, send all the angels to me. I mean, if you've got the host of heaven, just send, or just send me, Michael. Just send me, just somebody. It can be hard to, in those moments, be even thinking about, about praying for the temptations of your brothers and sisters and that the Lord would deliver them out of them. Would deliver them from any evil that might come their way. But here the Lord gives us that prayer. He intentionally doesn't say, he intentionally takes us to a secret room where no one's around and he has us pray for each other. But we want to be careful we don't want to go to the ditch on the other side of the road, right? Saying that the focus is on others doesn't mean you can't think of yourself in this prayer. That's not what Jesus is saying either. Because, again, it doesn't say, their father who art in heaven, right? <laughs> Give them their daily bread. Forgive them their trespasses as they also forgive those who've trespassed against them. This isn't, there isn't a, a, a loss of self in prayer here. Or, or like if you're really humble or you're really praying the right way, you won't even mention yourself. This is just about realizing that you're not alone in who your father is and you're not alone in, in who needs help and whom you should love and whom you should care for. And we're going to talk about this next week. Great quote by J.C. Ryle on this. That your brothers and sisters are just as blessed, just as much children of God as you are. That God has adopted them too, and they're just as much in need as you. And so when, when you lift up your requests, your prayers, you make sure to lift up theirs as well. And we would do that. We would do that for family, right? We would do that. If we had brothers and sisters that we thought about at all, unless we were again being these petulant siblings who like didn't want God to bless our, I don't like my brother, so don't bless him. If you're going to give him bread, make it a stone as a trick. 
we would pray that. We would, we would, if we spent time in our daily lives thinking about each other, there would be no problem even in secret praying for each other. So if when you pray, you are not praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's probably a testament that in your life you're not thinking about them. If when you go to pray, you don't even think about their daily needs, you don't even think about their temptations, you're not even concerned for how their life is, then that is a testament to you that every day of the week you are not obviously lifting them up in prayer, that you're not concerned for them. That, and the scary thing is, does that mean that you just don't love them? Because if you don't love them, God says that's a real problem with whether or not you are truly my son or not. And we're going to see that next week. But again, this is, this is not meant to be seen as a burden. This is meant to be seen as a blessing, this idea. of It's not like, hey, hey, guys, pray for your brothers and sisters. I'm like, no, yes, do it. You know, it's not what this is meant to be. This is meant to be a, a, a blessing because when you think about your Christian life, and you might, you might say it's hard to when you're fighting, think about the guy next to you, but it sure is nice that when you're fighting, there's a guy next to you. I mean, who wants to go into the secret place alone and realize, yeah, you're the only one here or anywhere that cares about this stuff. But instead, know that when you're praying for others, there are there is an army of people because that's what we can do. We can look and we can say, well, if I'm praying for everybody else, but think about it. If, if we're all praying for each other, yeah, you're praying for everybody else, but everybody else is praying for you. And I don't know if you're in that, but I think the prayers of all of you combined are probably more effectual than mine. My solo prayer. I think, I think it would be a joy to know. That, and, but if we build this prayer life, if we build a prayer life that doesn't just think about me, but that thinks about us, then there is joy in recognizing that, yes, you're going to your secret place and you're praying for everyone. You're lifting up in this Lord's Prayer these things and, and you want to make it about you, but you're not going to, but you don't need to because you know everyone else is also praying for your daily bread. You know everyone else. You know that you've got rooms full of people who today don't even know what you're struggling with, but have prayed for it. And they don't need to pray specifically for what your struggle is because the Lord knows it. So that when they pray, lead them not into temptation, deliver them from evil. They didn't know what they were praying for. They didn't know the temptation that would come your way. But the Lord did. And the one they prayed to about you did and does. And so can answer their prayers in ways you're like, well, if you don't know what I'm going through, you can't know. They don't need to know what. They need to know who. And if they know who to take the prayer to, then that's all that really matters. And so if we become a people who pray like this, then your prayers do not become a burden, but a blessing. Because when you say, our Father, you know there is a world full of people lifting up you the same way you are lifting up them. And that is a joy. That is, a, that is an encouragement because none of us feel like Christian atlases here. None of us feel like, you know what, God? I think I'm ready to take on the burden of the world. Set it on my shoulders, Lord, because I'm sanctified. I don't think any of us think that. So what joy to know that when you feel feeble, you have brothers and sisters lifting up your hands, lifting up your lives, your struggles, your needs, and taking them to your, plural, to 
I mean, let's say it to y'all's uh, heavenly father. So when we pray, even in secret, we must never take our eyes off of God's love, not just for us, but for his church, not just God's love for his child, but God's love for his children. Not just my father, but our father. Okay, so what can we do with this? Well, I said last week that one thing we're going to see from the Lord's Prayer in this Our Father section is a continued uh, focus on two things that, that can be driven when we understand uh, these, these words in a biblical way. One is confidence and the other is reverence. So when we understand Our Father, we're going to go into prayer, we're going to go into it with confidence and with reverence. What sort of confidence do we get in understanding that God is our Father? Well, the confidence is God is truly your Father. You're not just talking to an old man in the sky. You're not just lifting up prayers to a being up there who may or may not care about you. God is your father. You've been adopted. The, the work of Christ accomplished with certainty, not just your salvation, but was preordained, predestined will of God to adopt you. And that has been accomplished. God hasn't just saved you through Christ. Through Christ, you have been adopted there's confidence in that he is your father there's there's great confidence when the father is the one that tells you to call him father but there's also confidence like i said in the our aspect of it that we're not alone that, that the things that you're asking for are being asked for by god's people around the world as you pray for them and as they pray for you so rejoice. You're not alone. Have confidence. When you go and you pray and you feel like you can't handle it, rejoice that you've got, you know, 50, 60 other people praying for your temptations as well. Praying for your daily needs. So when you get anxious and you feel like, I don't think I can handle it, know that you have brothers and sisters who are praying that God would help you to handle it, that God would deliver you from evil. So have confidence when you pray. Rejoice that when you say, Our Father, there are other people saying the same thing on your behalf. And, and not just confidence, but reverence. Because as we say, our Father, there must always be a reminder that we don't deserve to be able to say this. That, that, the, that the words, our Father, should, should seem foreign and, and unnatural because we know us. We know who we were. We know what we did. We should never forget how undeserving we are to be able to say those words. They should never be so commonplace that we, we forget that they're unnatural to us. And then the reverence that prayer is not just about you. That the, the Lord's Prayer reminds us that, that this life, even, even our prayer life, is not just about us. That even, even your most intimate times with God, even when it's just He and you, when you're alone, in secret, even then, it's not just about you. It's because it's not just your father. Even then, even there, he is our father. Let's pray. just take a moment and think about the great confidence that you should have as we're about to pray. Think about the great confidence that is yours because this is your Father. 
God has adopted you. That's certain because Christ's redemption is certain. It's not certain because you deserve it. It's not certain because of what you've done. It's certain because of what, who Christ is and what he's done. So your confidence to call God Father doesn't rest on you. It rests on him. And he is the son. And because he is, so are you. And, ha and have confidence even as you, as you feel so weak, as you pray. Just think about the confidence that, that others are, are going to be praying with you and for you, even, even today. That we're going to create a, an atmosphere, that our body would be a place where we naturally begin, not just with me prayers, but with us prayers. And that'll funnel into every area of the other area of our life. Because if we start praying for one another, we'll start thinking about one another, just even when we're not praying. And that's so different from our world. That you will not be alone. That God makes sure you're not alone. Have confidence in that. And then think about the reverence. How reverential are you when you, when you begin to pray? When's the last time just even the word father just sort of almost caught in your mouth because you realize that you shouldn't be able to say that? And when's the last time you were struck by realizing, I pray a lot for me. And I want to make sure I pray for others. I want to have a heart not just for myself, but for everyone else. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask this of you, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, through whom we have been adopted and made sons. In his name. Amen. Let us uh, devote uh, time to uh, to respond. That's what we. It's our our habit. Of what we what we do uh, after we hear uh, the Lord's instruction through through His Word, and and uh, as a, again we as is our custom, let's sing. Um, this this is Psalm part of Psalm 141. The first part of that Psalm is a is a consideration of prayer. And um, it's it's very good. It's brief. Uh, we we just sing the first four verses um, in in this song. Um, but this is a a focus on our prayers. Uh, it directs our thoughts to Jehovah, uh, which is the transliteration of of the Hebrew word, which in English we just use normally Lord, uh, 
so um, it is that the Lord would be the focus of our praying, uh, that our that our prayers, our expressions of uh, of our praises, uh, of our uh, of our requests, are directed to Him. And again, like what we saw in in this today with the Lord's Prayer, it might seem to go without saying that it's our Father, but consider the significance that uh, that we're praying uh, to the Lord, uh, that 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 He is our focus, not the things we need, uh, although those are touchstones for us, which at least it should be, recognizing our need for His provision and going to Him uh, to ask. But those are, th- those are elements that this psalm is trying to cultivate, is intending to cultivate in, our, in the way that we even think uh, uh, about prayer. So it is on the Lord that we call. It's Him uh, that we make these, these requests known to, and we ask that He would hear us. Uh, and we know that He does so through Christ. And so these prayers have that, that sweet aroma um, that was literally uh, displayed in the Old Covenant with burning incense, uh, but that was only a, a symbol of prayers that are offered through Christ and the sweet aroma that our prayers are to the Lord when they're given through the name and the work on the work of Christ. And so let's, let's continue to, uh, to respond in thinking about prayer, about this Lord's Prayer and what it means that He is our Father, not just yours and not just mine, but ours, and that he is by amazing grace and the matchless work of Christ, the Father. So let's stand and uh, let's sing Psalm 141. These are the first four verses of, of that psalm. And uh, sing joyfully, sing thankfully, and sing together as children of the living God. On thee, Jehovah, I have called, make haste to come to me. Be thou attentive to my voice whene'er I cry to thee. O let my prayer before thee come, let it as incense rise. Regard the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 
Said, Lord, a watch before my mouth, as doors my lips attend. And never let my heart incline to any evil end. To practice deeds of wickedness with men that work deceit. And of the dainties they secure, oh, let me never eat. And we would not desire to eat of their dainties. Uh, their uh, their choice things that uh, are secured by wickedness, if the loving righteousness, goodness, and kindness that comes from the Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We pray in Christ's name.
when I first was looking through an old uh, Baptist hymn book, John Rippon's collection, that uh, I kept coming upon these amazing hymns like Thou Lovely Source of True Light and this next one, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul, and just this name, Steele, and I didn't know anything about who Steele was. Came to later find out it was Ann Steele, but I remember being so struck by this text, I thought, this is surely not a song that would have been written in our day and age, because Christians just are afraid to say these kinds of things to God. I tell you, you know, I work with RUF, so I get a lot of your kids. And you know, what's difficult, one of the reasons I think I love, love these hymns and have made these such a part of, of the way I minister to these students at Belmont is because so many times I have these conversations where people will tell me about their struggles and they're convinced that they must not be Christians because they struggle with doubts and unbelief. And I usually say something like, well, have you ever read the Psalms? <laughs> and and the, the fact is, worship is formative. The songs we sing are formative one way or the other. And if we're singing songs where people feel like they have to put on a happy face to be part of the worship, we're lying to them about what the normal Christian life feels like. And eventually that comes home to roost. And so it's so important that we sing songs that are reality. The, the reality is, Jesus is the dear refuge of our weary soul, the one upon whom our fainting hope relies. Don't you? It's amazing that you could go to church and be able to say to God, my hope is fainting, and he invites us to do that. Um, so I'm just so excited to, to have Sandra sing, dear refuge of my weary soul. Has thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? 
Jesus. 